You must have realized by now, just through the theme of what we've been singing about, that we are looking forward to that great day when Christ appears again. I don't know about you, but I can't wait. Sometimes we get tied up in all kinds of things on this earth. And you think, Lord, please just come, because it will end. And we need to have that forward-looking vision if we want to have the right perspective on our lives every day. We need to be looking towards the Lord Jesus Christ and His coming. Otherwise, we will see the wind and the waves and they will overcome us. And so, that is where our hope lies, that forward look to when Christ appears. And in this book of Malachi that we've been studying, we get to a passage this morning in chapter 4, nearing the end of this book, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. And in this day, the prophet Malachi points the people forward. He says there is going to be a day that the Lord will appear and on that day you will be saved and you will find relief and you will find your hope. And so let's turn to that passage this morning, Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. This is what the prophet Malachi says to the people. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaffed. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the store. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing says the Lord of hosts. Wow. I don't need to say anything more. I think I'll just sit down. I want you to turn with me to another passage now. And this is in the book of Zephaniah. And Colin, because you clapped, you will find that book first. Alright? If you don't know where the book of Zephaniah is, no, it's not in the Apocrypha. It's not in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament, just a few books back from Malachi. Book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 1, and I want us to read verses 14 to 18. Verses 14 to 18. And this passage kind of sets the scene. It colors in the picture for what we've just read in Malachi pointing ahead to that day of the Lord. This is a prophecy given by the prophet, a prophecy that is still to be fulfilled. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 14. Near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it the warrior cries out bitterly, A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold 
will be able will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath, and all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one of all the inhabitants of the earth. Now if you think there's a sermon of fire and brimstone coming, well it's partially true, but it's because God's word presents it to us today. And as we looked at this passage in Malachi, in the Hebrew Bible, there is no differentiation between chapter 3 and chapter 4. It just carries on from where it left off at the end of chapter 3, where our theme was the difference between the righteous and the wicked. And today we're going to look at, as the passage continues, so what is the outcome? What are the consequences for the righteous and for the wicked? And so please take note that that passage just carries on. You see, in the previous verses, verses 16 to 18 of chapter 3, we saw that there's a distinct difference between the righteous and the wicked. And in the passage today, you'll note that there's a distinct difference too in the outcome or the consequences for those two groups of people. You see, when the Messiah appears for the second time to judge all men, that is, living and dead, he will take to himself all those who have been in relationship with him, those who have been faithful to his principles for life, that is, as found in his word. And in chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, that distinction has been made so clear, it's as clear as black is different to white. The righteous person, that is, the one who fears God, the one who lives for God, and the one who serves God, and then the wicked person, the one who rejects God, the one who does not fear Him, and it's shown in his life, the one who does not serve God, but rather serves himself. That difference has been made really clear. And as distinct is the difference in the consequences for them. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. You see, the direct results of choosing to be righteous, and I use that word knowing what the word election means, okay? But the direct results of choosing to be righteous and choosing to be wicked are very clear. And this passage spells them out for us. Back in Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, when the nation of Israel were fleeing before the Egyptians, the Lord moved the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. He moved it between the two nations. And on the one side, he gave the Egyptians darkness. And on the other side of the very same cloud, the Lord gave the Israelites light and blessing. And in this same way, just keep that picture in your mind, the Lord, when He comes again, will differentiate between the consequences for the evil and the consequences for the righteous. The same Lord will do it on the same day. And so what is this dark side that the day of the Lord will reveal? What does the prophet Malachi tell us? He uses two metaphors, and I want you to notice them there. And he uses the metaphors of fire again. He uses, firstly, the the metaphor of destructive fire, which will come upon the wicked in verse 1. And then in verses 2 and 3, he uses the metaphor of healing fire, or a rising sun, which will come upon the righteous. 
And so let's look at this destructive fire firstly, which comes upon the, the wicked in verse 1. He starts that passage with two words. And if he had trumpets at his disposal, this would be the musical equivalent. For behold, take note, here is a great announcement, says the prophet Malachi. Pay attention. Why? There is the day coming. You see, as minute follows minute and day follows day in our existence, and even as it was in their existence in those days, there will come that very split millisecond in time when the day of the Lord will start. And that's a fact given by so many prophecies in Scripture. You know, there were 100 plus prophecies speaking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the way He would die and the way He would be resurrected. 100 plus prophecies. And they've come true. But there are 300 and more prophecies about His second coming. And if the first ones came true, what's going to stop the second ones from coming true? 300 plus prophecies. You see, the world may not like this thought. They may not like this thought of a world to come, where there will be differentiation between the good and the bad. They might not think it's a popular thing. They might think it's a figment of our Christian imaginations. But that doesn't change that it's going to, the fact that it's going to happen, does it? Just because they don't like it doesn't change the fact. When I was small, I didn't like cauliflower. And I really had to force it over my lips. My mum said it was good for me. And just the very fact that I didn't like it didn't change the fact that I had to eat it. That's a very small little picture. But the world doesn't like the fact that we talk about a second coming. The world doesn't like the fact that we talk about the, the, the unjust who will be destroyed by fire and hell and brimstone. They don't like that. But that doesn't change the fact that it's going to happen. Christ is coming again, says Scripture. Fact. And men will be busy about their everyday doings, and then suddenly everything will change. We'll still be busy doing our everyday things, and time as we know it will end. And this is the most, this is the really um, worrying thing. Time for repentance at that minute will end too. It is then too late to change your mind and to come to Lord to the Lord and ask for forgiveness because then at that millisecond God will appear to us in the form of Jesus Christ and every person will know that he has come. There will not be one person who didn't know that Jesus Christ has appeared. Everyone will know, living and dead will know Jesus Christ has appeared. You see, what will happen on that day, and that's what our text outlines for us this morning. Our text says there will be, on that day, the day that is coming, there will be burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaffed, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. When Jerusalem was destroyed and burned to the ground by the Romans a few hundred years after this specific prophecy was given, the Jewish nation was nearly blotted out. And those of you who know your history, you will know they nearly all perished. But God kept a remnant for himself through that. And during that time, the Jews experienced just a foreshadow of what would come later. 
And that is this prophecy which would be fulfilled. There would be a greater day of judgment coming, a day that is still ahead of them and ahead of us. And on that day, says our text today, among the other judgments of God, there will be a great heat and a destructive fire. I'm not making this stuff up. It's in Scripture. God says there will be great heat and destructive fire. And the day of judgment will be to the ungodly like a burning furnace that they can't escape. And they'll try and escape and they can't and they'll throw rocks on themselves to try and cover themselves, but they can't escape. And they will resemble the stubble, says our text, which the fire then consumes. How did they become stubble? Well, they became stubble when they rejected God. They were born in sin and they carried on in that state of rebellion against God and they are stubble to this fire of God. And God will destroy them down to their very roots, says our text. That part of the plant which is usually protected in fire by the soil, even their roots will be destroyed, says the Lord. And so, to these Jews, not even their ancestry as Jews would save them on that day if they didn't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, even your church affiliation, and yes, you might be a Baptist sitting here today, all right, but that's not going to save you on that day. Your parents' belief will not save you on that day. The question is, do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ yourself? That is what will save you on that day. Otherwise, you will be burnt down like stubble, down to your roots. You see, Scripture is very, very clear that on that day, the earth will be overcome by fire and the unsaved will start to experience, and I say they will start to experience the terrors of God's judgment, even before they've been consigned to the never-ending torments of hell. That is a terrifying thought. They will be already so fearful before they land in hell. This is what the prophecies say, and I'm going to read some prophecies to you that still need to come to, um, come to reality. Isaiah chapter 24 verse 6. Listen to these prophecies. Therefore a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer from their guilt. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. Now, Revelation chapter 16 verses 8 to 9. And remember I said to you there's over 300. Well, I've just chosen three so you can relax. But listen to them. Revelation chapter 16, verses 8 to 9. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. Note their reaction. They curse God even when they are being destroyed. And then the text carries on. It says, they did not repent and give him glory. And that's not because they didn't want to. It's because they can't that anymore. You get the difference? It's too late. And then Revelation 20, and I want you to turn with me to this one. Revelation chapter 20. Verse 11 to 15. Look at God's word and what it says is still ahead of us. And if you're a believer here today, take hope from this. And if you're an unbeliever here today, cry to the Lord for mercy before this happens. 
Revelation chapter 20 verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That is a prophecy from God's word which will still happen. You see, this hasn't been in history a popular message and it isn't today a popular message and you might not even accept this message today. I don't know where you stand when it comes to thinking about heaven and hell because there are many Christians in many churches who don't believe in the concept of heaven and hell as literal places. The Bible speaks about them as literal places, literal happenings. But it doesn't matter whether we take exception or not to it, it doesn't change the reality of the message. It is God's word. J. Vernon McGee said it very bluntly, and please excuse his bluntness, but I'll use it. It's him that said it. Those are the words of Scripture. If you don't like it, too bad. Isn't that true? And so the question is today, are you unsaved? As you're sitting here in this auditorium this morning, are you unsaved? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal saviour? Not the saviour of your parents. Not the Jesus who's spoken about in this church so often. Do you know him as your saviour? Otherwise, this day applies to you and all the consequences that come from it. And so what can your response be today? There's only one response. Cry for mercy to God today. The Lord, the same Lord who says in the previous chapter, return to me and I will return to you, still has his arms wide to you. There is still an opening for you to come. There is still time to turn from your sin and to turn for life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But you need to come. You need to come and find life. And then as we carry on in that text, we get to verse 2. And there is one beautiful word there. See if you can find it. It's the first word in the second verse. What is that word? The word but. It's a three-letter word. It is a beautiful word because it speaks about God's mercy and His grace extended to mankind. You see that verse says this. But, notwithstanding everything has just been described, but for you who fear my name. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. You see, there is hope for you and I as believers. Isn't that fantastic? When Christ appears, our hope will appear with him. A man once scoffingly asked his friend, 
What advantage has a Christian man over an unbeliever like me? Does the sun not shine on both of us on this beautiful fine day? Yes, replied his Christian friend. But the Christian man has two suns shining on him at once. One on his body and one on his soul. And that's what this text is all about. You see, there is a greater sun which shines on our soul as believers. And that is the sun of God's righteousness and his righteousness in action on us. There is a great hope for us as believers. You see, at the same time that believers are being judged, as unbelievers are being judged, believers will be preserved. And we saw that last week. You will be preserved as precious jewels unto the Lord. He will take you into his arms. On the other side of that cloud that we looked at in the, in the nation of Israel, the, the, the Egyptians were experiencing darkness, but the Israelites were experiencing brilliant light as God blessed them. And it was them who feared his name that experienced this. And you, you see, when we look at this picture, this new metaphor, this of the rising sun, the Egyptians made the symbol very clear. When the Israelites was, were staying in Egypt, they had the symbol of the rising sun. And I'll put a picture up, up there for you of it. And it was there to represent new life, new beginnings and new hope to the Egyptians. And so the Israelites would have been, they would have known the symbol of the rising sun. But you see, this prophecy of the prophet Malachi goes much further than a symbol of hope. He speaks about the sun of righteousness will arise. This is a whole complete different sun. This is not just a symbolical hope described by actual deliverance. It is, a, it is not just symbolical hope, but it is actual deliverance described here. Actual deliverance by God himself. And the context is not referring, and please notice, when it says the son of righteousness, he's not speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ there. And you might have heard that before. Alright? It's not the Lord Jesus Christ described here. It is God's righteousness described. And yes, the Lord Jesus Christ made it possible. And yes, when the Lord Jesus Christ appears, this will all happen. God's righteousness will be revealed. But he's speaking about the righteousness of God as the sun which rises on his people. On that day when Christ appears, God's righteousness will prevail. It will be clear as daylight. It will be brilliant in its clarity. The righteous that you and I, if we are believers here today, we will finally see clearly what it means to profit to keep his charge as the charge was against the Lord in chapter 3, verse 14. They said, Lord, what profit, what does it profit us to, to keep your charge? On that day, it will be clear. It will be very clear to us. It will be clear to those who fear God and those who serve God, because we will directly benefit by the experience when Christ reappears, and when God's righteousness is revealed. The Son of Righteousness, says our text, will rise with healing in its wings. You see, as that sun comes up and as those rays go out and as those sunlight, as the rays of sunlight give light and warmth to the earth and to the creatures of the earth, this sun of righteousness, when he appears, when God's righteousness appears at Christ's second coming, will bring healing to all hurts. It will close up all wounds. All wounds will be gone, which the power of darkness has inflicted on us while we've been on this earth. And you might have been through hell on earth, 
But on that day, everything will be healed. You see, all pain, all suffering, all heartaches, all soul searches, that aloneness that you might be experiencing, the self-sacrifice you might have to go through in this life, the pain of rejection by your family and your friends, the pain of seeing the effects of sin on your marriage and on your children's lives, it will all be over. And you will experience the rays of God's healing right into your soul as He perfects you, physically and spiritually. What a moment that's going to be when I suddenly realize I'm perfect. And Christ will do that. You see, there'll be no more Zimmer frames. There'll be no more hearing aids. There'll be no more crutches. There'll be no more lack of limbs and fingers. There'll be no more struggling with sin in your life. That everyday struggle of sin. There'll be no more grieving over your constant failings day by day. It will all be over. The sun of righteousness will rise over you, says our text. And you will experience eternal hope. Do you know what eternal hope is? This little life we live is a little glimmer. And the rest is eternity. You will have eternal hope, says our text. And what will your reaction be? I can tell you what your reaction will be. Scripture tells you what your reaction will be when that happens to you. What does it say? It says we will all become like skipping calves that have been re- uh, released from their stalls. Now, to any townies who might be here today, if you've ever seen what a calf does when you either let it into new pasture or let it go the night that's been cooped up and you let it go into the pasture, you'll know what I mean. It jumps around like something which is besotted. It runs around kicking up its heels. Now, that is what the biblical description is of you and I. And if you didn't think you can jump, well, you will jump on that day. You will have new strength. You will have a perfect body. And you will go gambling around the fields. Are you looking forward to that day? You see, it's just describing that intense joy, that overwhelming joy, which is going to come over us when Christ appears and God's righteousness comes over us. I look forward to that day. You see, God is going to take us back to that state that He created us in as mankind in the Garden of Eden. He put them in a perfect garden with perfect bodies in a perfect place. And that's the state we'll get back to. We will have perfect joy. And it's going to be more complete than it was at the beginning because we will be with Christ forever. We will have abundant life. Jesus promised us abundant life. I came to give you life and to give you life abundantly, he says in John chapter 10, verse 10. You see, we can look forward to abundant life. If you think you're having a good life now, wait till you get to heaven one day. It's going to be million, million, million times more. It's abundant life. Because you see, only then will we really appreciate what it means to have no more wickedness in us or to have no more Contention with wicked people in our lives. And that is why verse 3 is written. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing. You see, the Israelites well knew what ash was used for. In biblical times, they used to take ash and pour it out on walkways where there were slippery patches. And that ash used to compact and make it a little less slippery. And so what he's saying here is... 
that when God destroys the wicked, there will be no more cause or reason for you to slip in your life. You will tread down the wicked like ashes and you will look to God and say, thank you, Lord, in your gratitude. You, you see, that verse 3 is not a verse of gloating. It's not, hmm, I'm going to get at the wicked and tramp them down. No, no. It's saying, you will be looking to God in gratitude and saying, thank you, Lord, for taking this out of my life. And God will destroy the wicked in the same time. And so as we get to the end of this text this morning, there's only three ways that you can respond to this text. And I really want you to take note of these three ways. You must respond in one of these three ways. There is no other. And so evaluate with the Lord doing the work in your heart this morning. Where do you stand? How do you react to Him? You see, if you're an unbeliever and you hear that text this morning, one response you can have is to plead for God's mercy and to come to Him today and to receive new life because He offers you new life. But you need to come before Him and you need to bow the knee and you need to plead to Him because you can't do it yourself. Only God can give you that life. Only God can take that sin out of your life. You cannot do it. You need to plead to Him for mercy because that day is coming. The second response you can have this morning is to read and hear that text and to turn your back on it and just reject it outright. But then you are accepting consequences. And what are the consequences? The consequences that we've just read about. So if you turn your back on God and this offer of life, you choose to accept those consequences of being burnt and being judged by the Lord. And then the third reaction is for those of us who are believers here, and I speak to us, whether you are obedient to the Lord as a believer now today or not, we need to get our lives right before the Lord. But as believers, we need to take courage from this text. We need to stand strong in Christ. He is going to come through for us at the end. Christ is our hope. He has said He's coming. We need to believe Him. You see, when the short existence on this earth is over, we will live for the rest of eternity with Christ. We will have pure, unadulterated peace and joy in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so we can take heart and fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on the skies. Look for His coming. Have a sense of expectancy in your life, says our text. And then Jesus makes this awesome and amazing promise to you and I as believers today. Revelation 22 verse 20. This is what the Lord Himself says to you. And you might be going through all kinds, but if you're a believer here today, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to you directly. And this is His promise to you this morning. This is what He says. Yes, I am coming quickly. And then John ends with, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And that should be from our hearts too. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We want to be with you. As Stuart Townend said it so beautifully, there is a hope that stands the test of time that lifts my eyes beyond the beckoning grave to see the matchless beauty of a day divine when I behold his face. When suffering cease and sorrows die, and that word dies final, and every longing satisfied, 
Then joy unspeakable, like that of a skipping calf, will flood my soul. For I am truly home. Do you look forward to that day? I hope that this passage, when you reflect on it in this week, and I urge you, use the bulletin. I'll put questions in there for you to think through. Every week I do that. Use that, those questions. Go back to this te- text. And as you go through this next life, in, through this next week, and you're living your life in this week. As you live your life in this week, take courage, take hope. Christ is coming. No, your circumstances won't overwhelm you. He is coming. He will deliver you. There is hope to be had. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you for texts like these in your word. Lord, because there's so much in your word that points as believers to sin in our lives, that points to a way that we should be living before you. And Lord, so often we fail. And Lord, we know that we have your Spirit to help us. But Lord, how often do we push your Spirit aside and think we can do things our way? And yet you say you can't. You need me to be able to live a life that I require of you. And Lord, thank you for this text which gives us hope, which says that one day our struggles with this life, with our bodies, with our sin, will be over. And then you will reappear. And we will be with you forever and ever. And it will be such an amazing experience that we can't even put it into words. But Lord, Thank you too that your word brings out a warning. And that is to those who don't know you yet and you are merciful, you still give time to turn to you. And Lord, I pray for any that might be here that do not know you yet, that they would come and bow the knee to you today because we don't know when you're coming. You've said you will come quickly. Lord, may they use today and use this opportunity of your word calling to them and bow their knee to you and find life in you, Lord Jesus Christ. This is the plea from our hearts as believers here. We want to see unbelievers come to Christ. Lord, do your work in all of us here today, we pray. Either encourage or draw us to you for mercy. And in your great name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only Son who is coming again as he has promised, we ask that you will be blessed that you, your name will be glorified until we see you. Amen.